What are the personal qualities required of an effective gospel preacher? Well, we seek to answer that question today on Search for Truth. This is your Christian Radio Bible Study with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. Our present series is called Sowing in Hard Soil, and this is the second study in a 12-week series. Today, Brian will be seeking to identify the essential desirable qualities of those who set out to tell the gospel to others. Brian begins by drawing on his experience of response to missionary work, particularly in the Far East. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. In parts of the world, speaking God's word in public still draws crowds. Showing an introductory film with some singing does help to thicken the crowd, but these listeners remain throughout the whole time when the message is preached. Often there's a response, sometimes sizable, and the number added to the local church demonstrates the reality of that response, at least in part. For the preacher concerned, there are few experiences to compare with an evening in a remote village under the stars when there comes a moment during the delivery of the message when the audience is no longer restless. A stillness falls over them, and there could well be a tear in the eyes of those close enough to be visible. Occasionally, heads begin to bow. The speaker senses God at work, the spirit touching hearts, sensitising them to sin, and with mounting anticipation, he prepares to call for a verdict. It's normally a different experience in the Western world, isn't it? Are we nowadays, I wonder, more often concerned with numbers populating our pre-evangelistic activities than with expectantly testifying to the glory of the gospel of Christ? Rather than devoting a lot of time to innovations, the preacher longs to make private communion with God a top priority. The word of God and time spent in God's presence is the means the Holy Spirit uses to transform us into the image of Christ. If the word does not dwell in us with power, wrote Puritan John Owen, it will not pass from us with power. If our evangelism is to be effective, meditation with God over his word must be more important to us than discovering the latest way to attract crowds. Because if we think about it, it must be hard for the average unchurched person to figure out why a group of people supposedly filled with God's spirit and able to speak with the creator of the universe would even need to resort to using gimmicks. In the 19th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells a rich young ruler the realities of true discipleship. As the rich man realised that personal sacrifice is required to live in God's kingdom, he walked away. Jesus didn't run after the man in an effort to make the gospel more appealing. No, Jesus let him go because the only terms on which anyone can really follow Christ are God's own terms. Francis Chan tells a modern parable when he says, suppose I was concerned about people's health and so I rented a building and painted a cool sign with a bunch of happy vegetables on it. I began making drinks by blending kale, carrots, beets and spinach. My customers loved my drinks and came daily. There was just one problem. There aren't enough health fanatics to keep my business afloat. My solution? Whipped cream. Once I topped my drinks with it, more people started coming around. 
Soon after, I added chocolate syrup, and sales grew even more. Once gummy bears and M&Ms were introduced, I started making a fortune. I would still boast that my drinks contained some healthy ingredients, even though I knew my clients were getting fatter and more lethargic. My desire to run a lucrative business at some point overpowered my original goal of health. At some point in the process, I should have taken down the sign. Prayer, communion, fellowship and Bible reading don't attract large crowds. So we start adding elements that will attract people. We accomplish a goal, but it's the wrong goal. He's got a point, hasn't he? The earliest believers didn't try to do lots of activities, but instead they devoted themselves to a few. The apostles' motto was prayer and the ministry of the word. The priorities of those very first believers were prayer, the word, witnessing, having confidence in a God who could do beyond the ordinary, and embracing whatever hardship was necessary for God's work to progress. While they gave themselves to these things, Acts chapter 2 and verse 43 tells us, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Can we experience biblical awe without biblical devotion? In our worship, do we have a palpable sense of entering the holy place above, in full assurance of faith, seeing him who is invisible, as we make contact with ultimate reality? Entering the holies is to experience the presence of God. Turning to our witness, we long for more repetitions of the spiritual tension we described earlier when victory is sensed in preaching as tokens of repentance are detected among the audience. And in our daily Christian walk, we hunger for being more aware, more often, of things happening for which there can be no other explanation than that the Lord himself has drawn near and shown us his hand in the everyday. We try to attract people in different ways, but what if we presented ourselves as a people with an inexpressible joy, with a peace that surpasses comprehension, and with the availability of an immeasurably great power? How could they then fail to be intrigued? If we were people committed to worshipping God, people who can't get enough of time in his presence, where it's the object of our worship and not the atmosphere that makes worshipping exciting to us. And the goal is not merely to tolerate each other, but to actually love one another to the same extent that Christ loved us, and to be united in God to the same extent that the Father is one with the Son, a community where no one is a mere consumer, but each is a gifted contributor. We want to be people with something not of this world about us, regularly sharing the gospel with neighbours and co-workers, far from seeking comfort, even thriving on hardship, and refusing to become citizens of earth. Sometimes we hear people say they enjoy a spiritual high when in the company of hundreds of their contemporaries at some big event where their favourite worship music was being played. But I'd have to say that some of the most poignant times I've known, when I've most sensed the presence of God, have been with relatively few folks who are there for no other reason than their devotion to spending time with God. 
It's not about who else may or may not be present. We could sometimes say, God, look how many people are coming because they love being with you. But God knows exactly how many would be there if there was no special program, only prayer and Bible teaching. Paul actually told Timothy that teaching sound doctrine will not work. That is, it'll not bring in the crowds. In fact, it'll do the opposite. But Paul didn't change the menu because of that. Timothy was commanded to preach truth simply because it's what God wants. And that's what matters, provided, of course, it's presented in a contemporary but undiluted way that connects with the audience and engages with the culture. Imagine you go to a restaurant and you order a fillet steak. 30 minutes later, the waiter returns and puts a pizza in front of you, claiming it's the best pizza you'll ever try. What would you do? I'm pretty sure you'd send it back because it wasn't what you ordered, not even close. Well, God gave us his order. I mean, he told us exactly how he wanted to be served through his commandments in the New Testament. But instead of us delivering exactly what he asked for, we got distracted by thinking about what we want and what others seem to want and by what's been done traditionally by the generations before us. How can we make progress? Well, that's the theme of the briefing Paul gives to Timothy. Let's come back to our preacher, a man captivated by the presence of God, aware that nothing counts apart from God. He's a man of prayer, and prayer implies that all our gifts and efforts are very much the dispensable part. The Apostle Paul's briefing of Timothy the preacher went like this, be an example, he told him. That's 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. We have to practice what we preach. While stationed in Scotland, Colonel Durnford happened to be between Berwick and the Holy Isle, where a small craft had stuck on the coast during a storm. Seeing the hesitation of the fishermen to go to the rescue, he jumped into a boat, calling out, Will none of you come with me? If not, I shall go alone. A volunteer crew at once joined him and succeeded in rescuing those in peril. That's the power of example. Next, verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy to give attention to reading, certainly the public reading of the Bible, but that must be based on unremitting Bible study by the preacher. It was said of some of the old mines of Cornwall, that the deeper they were sunk, the richer they proved to be. And though some loads had been followed a thousand and even fifteen hundred feet, they'd not come to an end. Bible study is like that. The Bible is a mine of wealth which can never be exhausted. The deeper we sink into it, the richer it becomes. Don't neglect your gift, Paul added in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14. Later, it's represented as a living fire which must be cared for, a spark of the Spirit likely to smoulder if neglected and needing to be blown into flame by vigorous exercise. Then he says in verse 15, be diligent, or more bluntly put, don't be lazy. Any endowment we have by the grace of God is no excuse for mental laziness. The study of the Word of God involves constant reading, research and intense thought. It's the highest field of study and research, albeit under God's Spirit and through prayer. 
all our faculties need to be engaged. The preacher needs to ring-fence his preparation time when he's standing in God's counsel. Paul's final point is about the need of the messenger to pay attention to himself. That's in verse 16. An actor may utter a word that touches the heart, but the messenger of the gospel must personally know the truths he proclaims to others. The power of preaching depends upon a constant sense of the reality and solemnity of eternal truths. I'd like to remind you that this series of 12-week studies is quite wide-ranging. So here's how to get the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading your copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for Sowing in Hard Soil. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Many thanks for being with us in this time of study together. It's been good to share with you and I hope you enjoyed it. And you can join us again next time because Brian will be looking into the scriptures to identify the true essence of God's good news, the gospel. So till then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.